Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Ah, uh, okay, last thing. Where's Sarah? Why are we never here on the same week, right? You know, like it's a little weird at this point. Two weeks in a row, I'm gone last week, she's gone this week. Um, Sarah would never tell you this, but um, one of her jobs is she's the area director, area leader for the vineyard. Uh, for Massachusetts. So she is at the Framingham Vineyard in that role this week, which is awesome. So technically she is my boss, right? (laughs) Everybody always asks, who's really in charge? I guess it's actually her. You know, she could come in and ax me if she wants to. Uh, (laughs) So that's where she's at this morning. Well, we're finishing our series called Thrive this week. And I... uh, was thinking about this concept of like thriving as followers of Jesus. What does it look like to thrive for the long haul, for your whole life, to stick with Jesus? And what does it look like to be healthy as you do that? And there's a lot of things that I could throw out about that, but three things came to me, I think, from the Holy Spirit as I was praying about it. Remaining in love, dealing with conflict, and being bringers of reconciliation. And so I want to talk about those this morning. Uh, I mentioned that last week I was gone. I was in Nashville, uh, partying it up with all of the uh, bridal parties in America, I guess, because that's where they go now. So many sashes that said, I'm the bride. Like, congratulations. Uh, (laughs) Like, everybody there was there for that. It was a little interesting. Um, But I was in Nashville, and I was hanging out with friends that I've been friends with for about 20 years. that we've, you know, been in each other's weddings, we've lived together, we've done a lot of life together. And so we were, uh, but now we're Massachusetts, California, and Ohio, so we converged in the middle. And we were hanging out, and on Saturday, Sunday night, we were at one of our friend's houses who lives there in Nashville for dinner, and having a conversation, we're just, you know, doing what friends who have been friends for a long time do together, we talked about other people, right? That's what you do with friends that you've known for a long time, right? What's going on with that person? What's up with that person? You know, so we're doing that. And the conversation went a little negative at one point. Um, Because what started to come up, we all met going to a vineyard church where there was a large um, young adult service, like 700 people. And so we started talking about people who no longer follow Jesus from that. You ever had that sort of a conversation? People you've gone to church with, that you've done life with, that are now walking different. And we started, like, and the conversation went on for a while. A long time, honestly. And at one point, one of my friends looked at me. I wasn't a pastor then. I was like 18, 19. Uh, but I am now, obviously. And, and he looked at me, he was like, Stephen, you're the expert in the room. Did we do something wrong? Was there something wrong in the way that like we were being pastored or the way that we did community that led to all of these people who were small group leaders and really invested and like were following Jesus all throughout their 20s that all of a sudden now their marriages are ending they're not following Jesus. Is there something wrong with our community? And so that we sat and had that conversation. Super fun conversation, right? But I think really worthwhile because we sat there and we started 
looking at it through that lens a little bit. And we realized, you know, it, there were only like one or two cases where something bad happened. Most of the cases, nothing bad went down, you know? The, the usual, like, well, there must have been something bad. No, most cases, nothing bad went down. Here's what we realized. Often, not much went wrong. They just started to slowly push Jesus out of their lives. Some stopped following Jesus because of politics and cultural pressure, and it just started to taint how they viewed the church and how they viewed God. You probably know people like that. Uh, some people, if you've been around the church for a long time, you may resonate with this. Some people got really, really lonely because they had such a good community early. And then people moved geographically. They started going to a different church. Maybe they got hurt by the church, and so they walked away from the church. And the thought of creating a new community, like of really going and digging in again, was too painful. They just didn't want to do it. It took too much energy. And they already had these people who they were still friends with who weren't following Jesus, so why not just hang out with the people who are readily accessible? The marriages, we went down the list, and it was sad, but like the marriages fell apart because people just chose to not stay married. They just decided that they didn't want to be with that person anymore. It wasn't like there wasn't abuse. There wasn't like emotional, verbal, you know, uh, physical abuse. There weren't really even affairs most of the time. They just reached a point where they looked at the other person and they realized that they didn't want to be married to them anymore. Most of them decided that their commitment was based on emotions and preferences, and those had changed. Most of them had decided that following Jesus was based on emotions and preferences, and those had changed. So later that night, I'm in my room, and I'm praying and reading my Bible, because honestly, that wasn't the most like uplifting conversation to end on for the night. And I was just processing through what we were talking about. And I started reading John 15. And I came across the verse that says, remain in my love. And when I read that, I just felt like that's it. Like what happened in their lives? They stopped choosing to remain in Jesus's love. They just walked away. They allowed other things to creep in and, and to push Jesus out. But Jesus said that we have to remain, even when it's hard, even when life's difficult, even when we don't feel like it, even when our hearts feel like they're engaged in a tug of war and we're not quite sure what's going on, that we still need to remain in his love. So friends, what does it look like to thrive as followers of Jesus? I think it's in some ways just as simple and yet just as hard as that. That we have to continually choose to remain in Jesus's love. We're going to pray, but you know, I look at a room like this and I wouldn't be shocked if there were some people who could connect with those people who I knew from 15 to 20 years ago today. Where you look at following Jesus and the emotions and the preferences have changed. And you're saying, does it match up anymore? 
Maybe you look at your spouse and the emotions and the preferences have changed. And you're saying, is it worth it anymore? And my prayer this morning is that we will choose to remain. That we will choose to stay faithful to Jesus. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're already here. Jesus, I just pray for us this morning that we will be so aware of your love. God, I pray for those of us that maybe look at our relationship with you and it doesn't feel the same, it doesn't look the same, and, and we're constantly like, God, when will, when will it return to the, the good old days? I pray that this morning that it won't be a return to the good old days, but that it'll be an eyes wide open to the good tomorrow, to the good future, to the reality of your presence, not the what-ifs from the past. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and give us the courage to choose to stay in your presence, to choose to remain in your love, to choose to remain in relationship with you. So we just invite you to come. Come and work on our hearts. Come and speak to us. Make us aware of what it is that you're up to in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 15, verse 9. And here's what it says. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. There's two words repeated over and over in that section, love and remain. I want to talk about those for a minute. The Greek word for love here is the word agape. You may have heard that used before. And the definition of it is the love which led Jesus to gain human salvation, to undergo suffering and death, the love which God has for Jesus. Now, you may look at, at that, you may hear that definition and think like, aren't you like defining it by the thing that you just said? You know, like that's not a helpful thing. Like you're just saying that it's Jesus's love. Okay, I get it. But what kind of love is it? Like, how do you dig into Like, what does it actually mean? Like apart from Jesus, that's the beautiful thing about this word is that there is no definition for agape apart from Jesus in the New Testament. 
It is like one of the very, very unique words that, yes, it's a Greek word, but it was taken in the entire context for it, was placed around Jesus's actions and his words. The word comes from Jesus. Tim Mackey said that the earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. Interesting, right? The entire, like, they didn't say, okay, what word would work best for this? They said, what word did Jesus use? And then they created a context for that word. Because in the New Testament, you cannot have love apart from Jesus. It's impossible. He's the definitional standard of love, both love of God and love of others. And both of those things, loving God and loving others, are interconnected all the way. You can't separate those two things in the New Testament. They find their root in the love of Jesus, and they can't be separated. In fact, you, you could say like very easily that when we love God completely and wholly, then we love others naturally. When we show like the deepest and purest love of Jesus, we do that by loving those around us sacrificially. In order to love God completely, you love others and vice versa because they're interwoven, they're interconnected. You can't separate them. And so if you ever hear anybody say that they love God, but then their actions don't show that they love other people, they're full of it. <laughs> Just put it bluntly. You can't do it. Loving God means that you love others. It's inseparable. That's convicting, right? <laughs> like that's hard, but that's what love looks like. When we love God wholly, we love others naturally. And so when Jesus is talking about loving God and remaining in him, then he switches to loving others. He's not actually switching. He's just saying these all go together. So the Greek word for remain means to abide, to continue to be present, to maintain unbroken fellowship with one another. It's something that has established itself permanently within my soul and exerts its power over me. Something that has established itself permanently within my soul and exerts its power in me. When was the last time that you allowed the love of Jesus to exert its power over you? That's quite a, a picture, right? Imagine if Jesus was speaking these things to you right now. Imagine that he, he's looking at us and he's saying, Kevin, continue to be present in my love. And he says uh, to us, he looks at us and he says, hey, you need to let my love allow you to maintain unbroken relationships with those around you. He says, Marcos, allow my love to establish itself permanently in your soul. He looks at us and he says, Susan, let my love exert its power in you. If Jesus was saying that to you today, which I think that he is, 
what would that do in your heart? What would it speak to? What would it grab a hold of? What would it change? You know, when we don't allow the love of Jesus to root itself in us, what we're doing is we're allowing other things to come in and push that out. Because it's not, uh, it's not a vacuum. It's not just going to remain empty. Something else is going to come in in its place. And we begin to lose the ultimate thing, which is the love of Jesus. Tim Keller said, when you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or your hope, there are no alternative sources to turn to. It breaks your spirit. There's nothing that equals it in this world. And so in the place of Jesus, of the love of Jesus, what begins to happen is we allow all the negative things to come in. We allow bitterness and fear and selfishness and pride and addiction and anger and things like that to be able to come and to take root and to push out the love of Jesus. And that's what becomes the strongest thing that exerts its power in our lives. That's what begins to own us. And those things only lead us to places of despair. They never do anything good for you. They will never bring you health. You know, honestly, it's not, it's not often that somebody just decides to walk away from Jesus. They may say that, but if you were to actually dig in, you would find that it's usually a slow burn of unresolved conflict with others and with God that they've never addressed. That's usually what it is maybe we could each come up with one, but it's one outlier, you know, that, that we would come up with. And even then I would say, I'm not quite sure that that's actually true. It's usually something that's begun to burn away your love for Jesus until all that's left is ash in a wick. And there's nothing there remaining at that point. You know, it's like if I get hurt by somebody at church, Maybe it's a leader, a pastor. They do something that hurts me or hurts somebody I care about. But I never deal with it. I never go talk to them. I just allow it to keep burning away inside of me. Or if I go to small group and somebody makes a stupid comment about something that matters to me. You know, you, we've probably, most of us have had this happen, Right? You know, we're talking about something that we're passionate about or that we care about. And somebody just makes an offhand remark and you're like, that actually hurts. Like that bothers me, but I'm uncomfortable admitting that that bothers me. And so what we do instead is that we just let it slowly burn and burn and burn so that instead of dealing with the conflict, we just disappear from the small group. We stop going quite as often and then we fade into the background and we pull out of community because that's easier than dealing with the thing that was really small at the very beginning. It's like with your, your spouse, if they talk to you in a certain way that drives you crazy. Anybody have a spouse that ever talks to them in a way that drives them crazy? I'm not going to ask you, Daniel, don't look at Flavia right now, right? Don't say it, don't do it. Okay, but we all have things, right? And instead of going to them and being like, you know, it actually like really bothers me when you talk to me like that. We don't say anything, but we make a notch. We make a mark. And pretty soon that sheet is filled with marks because that's what happens in marriage. And all of a sudden, there's no space for anything else because all we're thinking every time we have a conversation is, man, I know they're going to talk to me that way again. 
we've, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this slow burn. And I get that conflict is scary. Um, I won't ask who likes conflict and who doesn't. Um, but I'm sure that there's some people that hate it. And there's other people that are like, yeah, it's okay. Um, I'll admit I am in the, yeah, it's okay category. Um, you may know that about me. Um, hopefully not in a bad way. Um, but uh, it doesn't bother me too much. I had a roommate one time who standing in a, in a circle of friends, uh, he said, there's one thing I know about Stephen Watson, and that's that he is not afraid of conflict. And then he chuckled. And you know what I thought at that moment? In my head, I chuckled because I was in front of other people and I had to. In my head, though, uh, I thought, what kind of like passive-aggressive nonsense is that? You got a problem with me, bro? Let's go talk about it. Let's go deal, right? Because I was like, no, I know there's something going on here and I'm in. Like, let's go. Which just proved his point, but whatever, you know, that's what it is. Uh, (laughs) That is how my brain works. Um, I have not always done well with conflict. Uh, Sometimes I have been a little bit too blunt. Uh, The first church that Sarah and I were at after seminary was in Connecticut, and uh, it was not the most healthy environment. I'll just leave it at that. There were some, some things that were not great. There was this one woman there who was kind and generous and hospitable, and she didn't like the way I did a lot of things, like a lot of things. Um, it was one of those situations where you have a new pastor and they come in and they do something differently than the previous pastor. And everybody says how terrible it is that the new pastor is doing things that way. I don't, I'm, none of us have ever experienced this, but that is a uh, not abnormal thing in churches. Um, and so there was something that I did because it was my job, and she really didn't like that I was doing it the way I was doing it. Um, and so I was uh, around the church service one day. I heard, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I heard my name being mentioned. Not in a nice way. Around church. And I was like, it's hard to have, keep having a conversation, you know, when you're like, wait a second. My name is being said right over, you know, it's like me to the, my seat. Like, I was like, I can hear you. Like, you know, like, I know everything you're saying. So I started listening. Then I ended my conversation nicely, hopefully. And I went over to her. I'll call her uh, Hannah, because it's not her name at all. Um, and I, I tapped her on the shoulder. I was like, hey, can we go talk? I'm sure at that point she was like, oh, shoot. Um, and I was like a little bit of fuming, like I might have had gas coming out of my ears. Um, and uh, we went somewhere where people weren't going to hear us. And I said, is there a problem? Do you have an issue with me right now that we should, we should deal with? This is a true story, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, and so like we're, we're having this, and I truly don't remember what she responded with or what I said after that. I know I didn't make it really bad because I would have remembered that. Um, but all I remember is that like the fizzle went out of the conversation. Both of us were immediately like, this was a bad idea. We're both behaving badly in places of conflict at that point. Uh, and my issue at that point was that I didn't work on me before I worked on us. 
And that's important. We have to work on ourselves before we can work on or address anybody else. James 1.19 says, You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I should have taken five minutes. I should have went for a loop around the church. I should have asked Jesus what he wanted me to do in this situation and then contacted her the next day to talk about it. I didn't do those things, and it wasn't great. It was not good behavior on my part. But I learned a lot in a short period of time because that church had all the elements necessary to rub all of my rough edges uh, constantly. Um, and so I learned <laughs> how to do better than that. Um, and so when Sarah and I, in fact, again, Hannah, I'll call her, uh, we had many other moments for me to work this out for myself. Um, and uh, we did much better. And so when we were getting ready to leave that church, she asked us if, if we could have a conversation. And we were like, yeah, sure, let's, let's chat. So we got together and we were chatting and, and she said, I just wanted to say thank you. Colored me a little bit surprised at that point. And, and she was like, you guys pastored the church through a really hard time, really well. And then she looked at me and she said, and I want to thank you, Stephen, for uh, leading me well, for caring for me well in this period of time that you've been the pastor here. And I was just like probably mouth dropped open a, a, a little bit at that point. Um, but in my heart, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Okay. I could see the fruit of being forced to deal with it well. Conflict isn't bad, it's normal. And in order to have lasting fruit as a follower of Jesus, like he says in John 15, we have to learn how to deal with conflict well because avoiding it will do nothing good. Pete Scazzaro says, a tragically misinterpreted verse is, blessed are the peacemakers. Most people think Jesus calls us to keep the peace, ignoring difficult issues and problems, making sure things remain stable and serene. The problem is that the way of true peace will never come through pretending that what is wrong is right. True peacemakers love God, others, and themselves enough to disrupt the peace. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. Friends, we got to remain in the love of Jesus, and that does come by learning how to deal with this stuff well rather than letting it burn us away. You know, I heard an amazing story recently. It was about two sisters who uh, got in a fight because I'll call them Sanaya and Micaiah. Uh, that's my daughter's names. Um, it's not about them because they're not old enough for this story to be true. Um, but uh, they got in a fight because, we'll say, Sanaya's husband uh, acted in a way that was kind of rude to some of the extended family, and Micaiah got really mad. Um, and they stopped talking to each other for years, like seven years. And Micaiah was at church seven years later and was in worship and she felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that she needed to go and call her sister right away. And she did it. And so she left and she went out to the lobby. She went outside, whatever, and she took out her phone and she called Sinai. And Sinai was so shocked to see her name pop up on the phone uh, that she actually answered it. And 
Micaiah just like unloaded and started just apologizing for the way that she had dealt with it and, and properly and the way that she had hurt her sister and, and all of this stuff. And, and she's crying and then Sinai starts crying over the phone. And like all of a sudden, all of this healing began to happen between the two of them because of this willingness to go and, and to, to talk to her sister. And it happened, they were both just amazed at how quickly the healing happened in their relationship which is pretty awesome, right? Pretty great. Um, That's not actually a true story. I made it up. Because it's exactly what Jesus asks us to do. Exactly what Jesus asks us to do in Matthew 5. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Leave and go. There are more important things than you getting your praise on sometimes. You being reconciled matters more in those instances. Go and be reconciled. And then Jesus tells us, well, uh, actually Paul does, but I'll say it's Jesus through Paul. Uh, in 2 Corinthians said, it's not just that we need to do this, but that this is actually our mission as Jesus followers. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We're his ambassadors. We're his messengers of uh, reconciliation. And the early church did take this to heart. There was a a pastor and writer in the early church about 130-ish AD named Justin Martyr. You can guess how he died based on that. Uh, His last name is what happened to him. Uh, And he wrote that we used to hate and destroy one another, and we refused to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people, and we pray for our enemies. How powerful is that? That's what happens when the love of Jesus begins to sink in and people choose to remain. Here's what it looks like to be a bringer of reconciliation. You confess, which means that I'm working on me. You forgive, which means I'm working on us. You live out repentance, which means that I'm working on me with Jesus. And then you carry love so that others can flourish. We're living like Jesus with others. Confess, forgive, live out repentance, and bring love so others can see Jesus. They they can flourish. It's hard to live that way but it's what we're called to do. How do we thrive for the long haul? We remain in the love of Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to be willing to deal with conflict and we have to sacrificially bring reconciliation. Friends, if you want your faith to last through long periods of time, you need to remain in his love. If you want your marriage to last through all seasons of life, you have to remain in his love. If you want to be an emotionally healthy person who is living out your relationships well, you have to remain in his love. There's no other way that you can do it. It won't work any other way. 
You know, I regularly think of Peter and Jesus's uh, dialogue in John chapter 6, where Jesus has just preached a really weird cannibalistic uh, sermon, and lots of people walked away. It's true. You can go read it later on. Um, but he preaches this thing, and people are like, what, what is this dude telling us to do? It's a little bit weird. And uh, they weren't sure sure how to deal with it. He wasn't actually saying to eat each other, but you know, like it, it got weird and people were like really confused. And so people walked away and, and Jesus looked at his followers and he said like, what about you guys? John six, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then he turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom would we go? You know, I've followed Jesus long enough. I've been through enough bad things. I've lost enough friendships. I've seen people I love hurt enough by people in the church that I could have walked away. Probably 15 times, honestly. My parents were pastors. I never saw the pretty side of the church. I saw all the stuff all the time growing up. But every time I've reached that point, honestly, I've thought about that verse because it's true. Where would I go? I've experienced his love. I've felt his peace in moments of chaos and utter loneliness. I've been aware of the truth of what it means to follow Jesus. And I look at my life and I say, there is nothing in nowhere that I could go that has anything remotely close to this. So it may be hard. It may be brutal at times, but Jesus, where can I go? Nowhere, but here. And so I choose to remain. Friends, do you choose to remain? Here's three action steps that I want to give us today. The first is deal with conflict. Deal with your conflict. And connected to that is commit to be a bringer of reconciliation, not an expector of reconciliation. You know the difference, right? When you expect the other person to be more mature in the, in the situation than you are, you choose to do that. Friends, who, who do you have conflict with that you need to reconcile with? Who in your life is in that spot? And you're like, I really don't want to. Jesus is probably saying you really need to. Who do you need to go to? and apologize, even if you didn't throw the first stone? Who do you need to show love even if they haven't always shown love to you? I'm not saying put yourself in a bad, you know, an unhealthy position. But I'm saying be willing to live out what Jesus tells us to do. Be willing to deal with it and bring the love of Jesus and then the last thing is let's choose to remain in Jesus' love. Mm -hmm.